Well, good morning. It's good seeing all of you guys. Welcome. If you will take a seat. Uh, before we open up the Word, uh, let me pray for us. Our Holy Father, I thank you uh, for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you that you love us, that you care for us, that you delight in us, that you are our Father, you are our Shepherd, you are our God, our King. Lord, I pray that as we open up your word, can you speak to us? Can you help us to understand Can you open up our eyes, open up our ears, open up our hearts, open up our mind? Can you stir our hearts and our affections for you? Can you convict us? Can you help us to be in awe of you as we look at the incredible promise that you have made despite the unfaithfulness of your people? Can we be in awe of the incredible commitment that you have made to us, despite us being prone to wander away from you? Lord, please make yourself known through your word. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, says turn to Ezekiel 34. And so we are in week four uh, of Advent. And so for, if you're new here, you might not know what Advent is all about. Advent is the celebration of Jesus coming in humility, but it's also the anxious waiting for Jesus to come in glory. And so as we lit the fourth candle in anticipation of Christmas Eve, uh, really what it does, it gives us a picture of the gospel as we see the light ever increasing, piercing into the darkness. This is what it represents. Now, in our series in this Advent season, we've kind of been talking about the reason for the hope that we have. So many times we find ourselves just busy, especially in the Advent season where we're, we, we don't know whether we're coming or whether we're going. And seldom do we kind of just stop and reflect on the reason for the hope that we do have. And the Apostle Peter even talks about it. He says in 1 Peter 3.15, he says, But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you. And so my hope for us in this series is that as we looked at the passages, both the Old and the New Testament, we're reminded of how Jesus is our hope in every season of life. And so, so far in our series, we looked at some of the reasons for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. In the first week, we realized that we needed our enemy to be defeated. And when Jesus came in his first advent, he defeated our enemy. And in the second advent, he is going to completely destroy our enemy. And week two, we saw that we are walking in darkness. And rather than God leaving us in this darkness, he had given us a great light in the coming of Jesus, who is God's blessings, who is God's presence, and who is God's revelation. And last week, we saw that amid the destruction, God speaks a word of hope to be present with us in Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to look at the fourth reason for the hope that we have, that we are like sheep without a shepherd, and we needed a shepherd who loves us and cares for us. So let's look in the Old Testament as we see our need for a shepherd, and then we look in the New Testament and see how Christ fulfills that role. Look at Ezekiel uh, chapter 34, verse 1. It says this, The word of the Lord came to me, 
son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who've been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? You eat the fat, wear the wool, and butcher the fattened animals, but you do not tend the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Instead, you've ruled them with violence and cruelty. They were scattered for a lack of a shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals when they were scattered. My flock went astray on all the mountains and every high hill. My flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and there was no one searching or seeking for them. So, so let's just stop here and, and talk a little bit about it. So, so the prophet Ezekiel is using a common metaphor in the ancient Near East to describe that of a shepherd to a ruler. And so the, law, the Lord brought the prophet Ezekiel, through the prophet Ezekiel, a word of judgment against Israel's rulers. These leaders did not care about the flock. They only cared about themselves for material gain. They did not lead the people like they were supposed to lead. And so in this metaphor, instead of feeding the flock, they were fed on the flock. In other words, instead of taking care of the people, they used the people to take care of themselves. Instead of providing the people with food and clothing, they took food and clothing from these people to provide for themselves. And in addition, they failed to provide for the needy. They failed to provide for the weak and the sick. They did not go after people who found themselves lost or have gone astray. They really didn't care about the people whatsoever as long as their own personal needs were met. And on top of that, they were brutal and harsh in how they ruled. And so because of the lack of a shepherd to lead them, the flock of Israel was led astray. And they ended up being scattered among the nations. They had no shepherd to protect them. They had no shepherd to provide for them food or to lead them or to gather them or chase after them. And instead, now they became food to these wild animals. They were sheep without a shepherd. They found themselves lost. And look at the indictment that God brings against these shepherds. Look at verse 10. It says this. This is what the Lord God says, look, I'm against the shepherds. I will demand my flock from them and prevent them from shepherding the flock. The shepherds will no longer feed themselves for I will rescue my flock from their mouths so that they will not be food for them. And so on the basis of this indictment, God promises to remove these leaders from position. These harsh rulers, these evil rulers will no longer rule over God's people. Not only is he going to remove them, but he's going to hold them accountable and judgment is going to fall on them. And so in a sense, we, we read verse 10 and we're thinking, you know what? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that he cares for his people. Praise the Lord that he removes these evil leaders, that he holds them accountable. Praise the Lord for that. But what I want us to notice is look at the incredible promise that the Lord makes to his people. Not only is he going to remove these leaders and hold them accountable, but look at this amazing promise that the Lord makes to his people in verse 11. It says this, For this is what the Lord God says, 
See, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. As a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he is among his scattered flock, so I will look for my flock. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and total darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples, gather them from the countries, and bring them to their own soil. I will shepherd them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the inhabitant places of the land. I will tend them in good pasture, and their grazing place will be on Israel's lofty mountains. There they will lie down in good grazing place. They will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel, and I will tend my flock and let them lie down. This is the declaration of the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the strays, bandage the injured, strengthen the weak, but I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will shepherd them with justice. Now, I want you to focus on, first of all, the amazing promise that the Lord makes to his people. Now, even though these people, and this is what we have to understand, these people are responsible for their own actions. It's not the leader's fault that they were unfaithful to the Lord, that they rebelled against the Lord, that they wandered, and that they forsaken God altogether. It's not the leader's fault. They are personally responsible for their own actions. Now, obviously, the, the leaders did not help. And instead of Warning the people, correcting the people, rebuking these people from these evil actions. They contributed in helping lead these people astray. And the reason why I say look at the amazing promise that the Lord made in verse 11 is that despite the people's unfaithfulness, despite the people wandering away from the Lord, what does He do? He promises them to be their shepherd. He promises them that he will search for them. He will rescue them. He will gather them. He will love them. He will care for them. He will tend for them and provide them good food in green pastures. He would give them rest. He will heal their injuries and strengthen the weak. And from a realistic perspective, these people do not deserve it. And yet the Lord and His mercy and His grace in midst of their unfaithfulness makes this incredible promise of being their shepherd. And what an amazing promise that the Lord does make to them through the prophet Ezekiel. Now, the nation of Israel, their history has been full of judges, kings, prophets, and priests who had the responsibility of shepherding God's people. And throughout their history, there were some leaders who were faithful and who did a good job. And when they were faithful, the nation prospered. But unfortunately, they were more unfaithful leaders than faithful leaders. Just like we read in Ezekiel 34. And when you look at the, the history of Israel and what the Lord is doing through the history of Israel by allowing all of these unfaithful leaders to lead them and allow things to go the way they go, that all of these rulers, all of these prophets, these priests, and these kings were ultimately pointing towards a one that is far greater than any of these other ones. A true king, a true prophet, a true priest, a better shepherd. And here the Lord through Ezekiel says, I will be their shepherd. 
And so somehow God is going to come and he's going to be their shepherd. And then we read in Ezekiel 34 verse 23 that not only will the shepherd be God himself, but somehow the shepherd will also be the, the servant of David. David, my, my servant, so he'll be a descendant from David. And so here's the promise that the Lord makes. And so now let's turn to the New Testament and see how Jesus fulfills this promise of being the true shepherd of God's people. Let's, let's turn to John. John chapter 10, verse 1 to 6. Now, as you're turning to John chapter 10, I, I, want, I forgot to make a disclaimer uh, in the 9 o'clock service, so let me make a disclaimer now. Um, you might be frustrated with how I'm dealing with the text because there's a lot of verses I'm skipping. That's because in the new year, we're continuing our series through the book of John, and we'll come to the text again. We'll camp out and just focus on the text. If you're frustrated because there's things I'm skipping just for the point of the service, showing how Jesus is the fulfillment, I'm doing it because, again, we'll get back to John chapter 10, and I think it's going to be around April as I looked at the calendar. Let's look at John chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Truly I tell you, Anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him and the sheep hears his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he's brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. So obviously, the, the condition of the Lord's people, of sheep being without a shepherd, wasn't exclusive to just in, in the passage of Ezekiel, in the time of Ezekiel alone. Because even in Matthew, in Matthew 9, verse 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, it said that he felt compassion for them. Why? Because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. And so this condition of the people wandering, walking in darkness, lost without a shepherd was a condition that continued throughout the time of Ezekiel, even to the time leading up to Jesus. So when Jesus saw the crowds, what did he see? He saw people wandering, lost. They had no shepherd. And even in the context of John chapter 10, the Pharisees, in a sense, were just like these evil shepherds that was in the time of Ezekiel. These Pharisees, these religious leaders, were selfish men. The only thing they cared about was themselves. They cared about their authority. They cared about their position and their power. They had taken God's law. Instead of teaching graciously who God is, they took the law and they used it to use and abuse people by putting a heavy burden on them so they, they can be crushed under this weight. They neglected the poor. They did not take care of the orphan and the widow. They did not bandage the sick or strengthen the weak. They were religious on the outside, but inside their hearts were very far from the Lord. And so Jesus, seeing this condition, addressing these Pharisees, a.k.a. these false shepherds, he now begins to explain to us the nature of the true shepherd. 
So if you're taking notes, here's the first thing he says about the nature of the true shepherd. The true shepherd enters by the gate of the sheep. The true shepherd enters by the gate of the sheep. In other words, the true shepherd doesn't need to climb over the fence, but is admitted through the gate. Why? Because the gatekeeper, the watchman, recognizes the shepherd, opens up the gate, and allows the shepherd in. But a false shepherd, who's not truly the shepherd, he is like a thief. He is like a robber who has to sneak in into the sheepfold, climb over the fence unsuspected. Because he's not really the true shepherd. And we see that the true shepherd, he walks through the gate. Everybody knows that he is the shepherd. And he goes into his flock. They're kept in one fold, protected and ultimately attended by the true shepherd. The, the second nature of the true shepherd that Jesus tells us about, the sheep would hear his voice and recognize his calling. How do you know this is the true shepherd? Because of how the sheep responds. They hear his voice. They recognize his calling. And when he leads them out of the gate, what do they do? They follow him because they know him. They know his voice. He's not like the false shepherds that is calling out to the sheep. And the sheep are saying, well, wait a minute. You're not our shepherd. We don't know you. But rather, when the true shepherd calls them, he hear, they hear his voice. They know him, and they follow him. And really, what Jesus is doing in the first six verses, he's drawing a sharp contrast between the false shepherds, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, to the true shepherd. And the difference between the true shepherd is everybody recognizes he is the true shepherd without having to show any identification of being the true shepherd. He simply just walks through the gate and they open up for him. He simply just speaks and his sheep responds because they know his voice and they follow him. And the Pharisees, as they're hearing Jesus talk, obviously they know of this promise that the Lord was promising in Ezekiel 34. And clearly they know they are not the true shepherd and they're wondering, who is this true shepherd? What's the identity of this true shepherd? And now in verse 11, Jesus is going to give us the identity of this true shepherd. Look at verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hands, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and he doesn't care about the sheep. Verse 14, just in case you miss it, what does he say again? I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Let's just stop here. So what does Jesus does? He identifies the true shepherd. And who's the true shepherd? Jesus says, I am. He is the good shepherd, if you're taking notes. 
But, but notice that the, the shepherd that, that God promises, the shepherd that is God himself and the servant David in Ezekiel 34, this is Jesus. He is the good shepherd. And he says, this good shepherd is altogether different than all the other shepherds. Why is this good shepherd altogether different from the other shepherds? Not because of his identity, but rather because of what he does. So the first thing that this good shepherd does, if you're taking notes, is that the good shepherds lay down his life for the sheep the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep think about what that means as a shepherd Jesus does more than just risk his life for his people he does more than just risk his life and rescuing his people but what does he do he gives his life he lays it down he endures death on behalf of the people because he's not only the good shepherd, but he's also the Lamb of God who has taken away the sins of the world. But he's not like any other shepherd because what do other shepherds do? Other shepherds might say they love the sheep and care for the sheep, but the second a wolf comes and their life is in danger, what do they do? They run for it. They're willing to risk some of it, but the second it becomes really bad, they run for it, which means they really don't truly care and love the sheep. But Jesus is different. He doesn't just risk. He lays down his life. He's not like the other shepherds of the past who were controlled by self-interest. The thieves came to rob and steal. The hired hands come and abandon the sheep. But Jesus instead lays down his life for the sheep. Think about the implications of this truth here. Because in a sense, we are the sheep without a shepherd. Lost, wandering. And we put our hope in people to lead us. And what happens? They always fail us. They always disappoint us, including me. If I've not disappointed you, I'm going to disappoint you. I am not the good shepherd. I am a hired hand. I am a shepherd under the chief shepherd, pointing you to a better shepherd. But, but, but again, think about we as sheep without a shepherd. And here the good shepherd comes. And the very first thing the good shepherd does is he lays down his life for the sheep. What do you think that means? What's the implications for that? It means that he cares for you. He loves you. He will not abandon you. He will not forsaken you. When times get really hard, he's not going to run. Why? Because he's laid down his life for you. In other words, he is so committed to you that he laid down his life for you. It's more than just the word saying, I'm committed to you. But it's him actually laying down his life for you. He is the good shepherd that lays down his life for you. But the second thing that the good that Jesus tells us about the good shepherd, which is him. Uh, like think of, look, at, look at the second thing, how he describes what this good shepherd does. Not only does he, as the good shepherd, lay down his life for the sheep, but, but the second one in verse 14, it says, the good shepherd knows his own and his own knows him. So Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, those who belong to me. 
and those who belong to me know me. But what's really important, verse 14 is incredible in and of itself, the fact that the good shepherd knows you and you know him. And it's more than just a mental grasp. It's more than I know about him, but rather than know of an intimate knowledge. But look at how he compares this intimate knowledge to another relationship. Look at verse 15 here. And this is the part that I just think is incredible. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I laid down my life for the sheep. In other words, what does that mean? That knowledge between us and Jesus and Jesus and us runs parallel between the knowledge of God the Father and God the Son. Another way of looking at it, just as much as God the Father knows the Son and the Son knows God the Father, so you know the shepherd and the shepherd knows you. Maybe another way of looking at it, just as much as the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father, so is the love for you and you have for the Son. So in other words, this perfect triune community that's happening between the triune God, you're invited in to participate. It's not like, you know what, my love for the Father is greater for my love for you, but rather he is saying, no, just as much as I know you and you know me, so I know the Father and the Father knows me. Like, just think about how incredible that is. But not just the love that between the Father and the Son that is for you, but also the commitment. What does the Son do? The Son is walking, is committed to the Father, walking in perfect obedience to the Father. And just as the Son is committed to the Father and the Father is committed to the Son, so the Son is committed to you. And you one day will be committed to the Son. Like how incredible is that? Like like just, just think about it. And again, this word no is is more than just mental grasp. It's this personal understanding, this commitment. In other words, when he he uses the word no, it has this, uh, this idea of God's gracious, redemptive commitment towards you. And this is very similar to the nature of the true shepherd. If you go back to verses 1 to verses 6 where he talks about the nature of the true shepherd, he says uh, he calls his sheep by name and his sheep knows his voice. In other words, those who belong to him are then marked by hearing his voice, recognizing his voice, following his voice. We're not left on our own, but rather we're under the care, the protection, and the direction of the good shepherd. Let's talk application and implication, what that looks like for us in our lives. So in a sense, we were like sheep without a shepherd. We needed a shepherd who could come and love us and care for us, come and search for us and rescue us and bring us back who could put us in green pasture and feed us, who can take our wounds and heal us and take us in our weakness and strengthen us, who can provide rest for us for our weary souls. And Jesus arrives and he fulfills the promise that God made to his people. And he says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd who knows my own and my own knows me. 
And not only is that promise incredible and it gives us hope that he is our good shepherd, but even think about the wonderful assurance we have. How many of us sometimes are afraid that we're not doing enough for the Lord? How many of us are afraid that we are going to find ourselves wandering and abandon him? We're going to find ourselves lost. How many of us are afraid that we're really not doing a good job walking in obedience? How many of you are afraid that you don't think you have the assurance of being his sheep? If we continue with the biblical metaphor, whose responsibility is it to keep the sheep? The sheep to stay within the fold or the shepherd? Because what do sheep do? Sheep wander, and yet what does the shepherd do? He goes after. And so what that means for us, we, in our struggles with maybe unbelief, in our struggles of maybe our insecurity or maybe our doubt, feeling like we're not measuring up to what God calls us to do, maybe even our struggles of not loving ourselves because it's like, why would God love me? I don't even love myself. Have you seen me? Have you seen what I've done? I say I'm not going to do it. The next day, what happens? I do it again. And yet, when we look at this promise that he is the good shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep, his sheep knows him. He knows his sheep and his sheep knows him. That gives us assurance that we have a good shepherd that is committed to us. That when we find ourselves wandering, when we find ourselves lost, he's not like, you know what, I am so sick and tired of going after this one. But what does he do? Because he's already laid down his life for the sheep. He comes, he rescues, he brings the sheep back. Despite you might not being a good sheep, the shepherd is committed to you because you belong to him and he belongs to you. And so the great hope and the great encouragement and the great assurance it is is that we have a good shepherd who loves us and cares for us. And how do I know he loves me and cares for me and is committed to me and will protect me and provide for me and will shield me? Because he laid down his life for me. And if he laid down his life for me, I know he loves and cares for me. Because when things get really hard, he's not going to run away because of the danger. He's already given his life for you and me. That means he's committed to me. He will walk with me. He will strengthen me. He will guide me. He will feed me. And he will give me rest for my weary soul. This is the hope we have in the good shepherd. And so stop looking at yourself and your performance. Look to the good shepherd who's committed to you. Trust in him. Look at what he's done for you. He's laid down his life for you. That means he loves you and cares for you. And even as we get ready to sit at the table... What are, what are we reminded of here at the table? That we belong to him. That he laid down his life for us by dying on the cross in our place. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. He lived the life we could not live. He died the death we were supposed to die. 
because of his life and the price that he paid that we can be reconciled to God. And so we look to him. We trust him in all of this, that what he's done is enough. And we even trust him that we will recognize his voice. Again, even think about the truth. Uh, How many of you in the back of your mind wondering, I wonder if I'm even safe because I don't know if I have ever really can recognize God's voice. Well, what does Jesus say? I'm the good shepherd. They hear my voice. They recognize my voice. My own knows me, and I know them, which means if you belong, you will recognize because the shepherd calls. Praise the Lord for that. Let me, let me pray for us, and then we'll get ready to sit at the table as we distribute these elements. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for the incredible promise that you have made, that you yourself will come and be our shepherd, that you will search for us, that you will rescue us, that you will gather us that you will take our injuries and heal us, that you will strengthen us in our weakness, that you will lead us in green pastures, and that you will give us rest. Lord, we thank you for the assurance that we have. And Lord, I I lift up these people. I even lift up myself. Lord, you know um, everything about us. You know the struggles You know the unbelief. You know the sin. You know the condition of our heart. And Lord, in this moment, can you make yourself known to your people? Have you spoken to them through your word? Can you help them to hear it, understand it, cling to it? And in this moment, in a sense, experience it? Can you help them when they find themselves distressed, despaired, hopeless? Help them to be reminded that they have a good shepherd, the true shepherd that is totally committed to them. As we distribute these elements, Lord, can you help us to be reminded of how you laid down your life for us? Your body was broken for us. Your blood was shed for us. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm just amazed at the promise that the Lord makes that despite our unfaithfulness, our wicked hearts, the Lord promises to be our shepherd, to come and rescue us, and gather us to heal us, strengthen us, to feed us, to give us rest. And the question we all ask is, how do I know it's true? And how I know it's true is because Christ, who took on flesh, dwelt among men, lived the life we could not live, and died in our place. These elements are a reminder of his body that was broken for me on the cross where he died in my place. Take it in remembrance of him.
on the cross. His blood was shed for me. That paid for the penalty of sin. That satisfied the wrath of God. That covered all of my sins, past, present, and future. And is the new covenant I now have in Jesus Christ because of his blood for me. Drink it in remembrance of him. Why don't you just take some time right now and just thank the Lord. Thank the Lord for the promise he's made. Thank the Lord for the promise he's, he's kept. That he laid down his life for you. That he is committed to you. That he cares for you and loves you. That he will tend for you. He will feed you, and he will give you rest. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you laid down your life for us. Thank you that you know us and we know you. That we hear your voice, we recognize it as the true shepherd, and we follow you. Lord, can you help us to fix our eyes on you, to rest in you, trust you, cling to you? When we find ourselves without hope, can you help us to be reminded of the hope that we have? For we needed a shepherd, and you came, and you are our good shepherd. We love you, and we praise you, and we thank you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand. Let's worship our good shepherd.